0: Welcome back to the show as we continue with our series, The Next Million. The series has been looking at Metro Vancouver through the lens of another million people living here. Our population is presently 2.8 million people and is expected to hit 3.8 million by 2050. How do we accommodate these new residents and how do we work, live and play in a region with another million more people? Now, last week, we had former Premier Christy Clark join us to discuss how we govern the region in 2050. We're also joined previously by Peter Dillon, the chairman of uh, Ocean Spray to discuss food security for our our region last uh, last week our guest was Kevin Quinn the CEO of TransLink talking about how transit would look like in 2050 and our needs of our community well in the weeks ahead we'll also be looking at policing in 2050 and of course First Nations communities and their potential impact on Metro Vancouver over the next 25 years now today we want to look at uh, race demographics and the impact. Uh, these uh, two issues would have on politics uh, in our city, in our region. Now, last week, Immigration Minister Mark Miller was on this show uh, after his government tabled new targets for the next three years in Parliament, which called for the, uh, for the number of new permanent residents to hold steady at 500,000 in 2026. Last year alone, 150,000 people moved to BC, the most in 60 years. Uh, immigrants uh, come from all over the world with a large presence from Asia here in uh, Vancouver. We are, of course, a multi-ethnic society with 52% of our population, people of colour. What does the future look like with another million people uh, here and how will it impact our politics and the involvement of many of these communities and, of course, race relations here in Vancouver? Joining me is a man who looks at demographics uh, when it comes to politics. His name is Kareem Alam. He's a partner at Fairview Strategies and a campaign director for Ken Sim and ABC Vancouver during the last civic election. Kareem, welcome. Thanks
1: for having me on again,
0: Jazz. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Now, let's go back to the campaign uh, from a year ago just for a moment here. When you ran that campaign for ABC, you've got a a diverse city uh, like Vancouver. When you looked at your strategy moving forward, you got all this diversity of massive Chinese population, South Asian population, uh, a gender breakdown, uh, all of those issues, socioeconomic. How did you move forward in regards to stitching together a coalition which eventually led to the supermajority for Mr. Sim?
1: Yeah, uh, uh it's… uh, important to acknowledge before I answer that question that today is the one year anniversary of Ken Sim and ABC being sworn in um, as, as council. Um, it was a really special time for me uh, to, to, to see the first uh, Asian mayor, first non European mayor elected in the city's history. Uh, we hit a lot of firsts. We had a very diverse slate uh, first uh, South Asians uh, in a lot of categories, first Chinese, Mandarin, Taiwanese in a lot of categories. One of the things that happens when you start working on a campaign is you typically start putting together um, your policy, your platform. Uh, You start typically by doing polling and research. You put your campaign platform together and then the ethnic outreach becomes an afterthought. One of the things we recognized early to be successful in this campaign is that ethnic can't be the afterthought. It needed to be the starting point. And That's just based solely on the demographics. So 52% of people in Lower Mainland are non-European. In Vancouver, that number is 60%. Burnaby, that's 60%. In Surrey, it's 65%. In Richmond, it's 86%. Those are the four largest cities in, in, in British Columbia. So your approach in building a successful campaign must consider the diversity of its people first. So the first and most important part was to assemble a slate of people that looked like and reflected uh, the city of Vancouver, then having those people come with their ideas and their ambitions to populate your platform. Um, And that really was the starting point, um, and it really was successful. When you take a look at um, the last election results and take a look at the polls, the only polls that Ken Sim and ABC lost were the predominantly European ones. Uh, The predominantly Punjabi, South Asian, Chinese, Filipino polls were the ones that he won. Um, and he won a very sweeping uh, uh, election uh, election uh, 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 win. He got 19 out of his 19 people uh, elected on his slate. So that ethnic first approach um, is going to become increasingly more critical um, in future campaigns. I'll close off by just – putting a little bit of this context, one of the reasons why I think the NDP provincially is doing so incredibly well Mm -hmm. is they've done a little bit of what ABC had done, is they've recruited a very diverse caucus. They have 11 Punjabi MLAs. The BC Liberal Party has zero. They have six or seven Chinese uh, MLAs, and the BC Liberals have two. And not only are these people MLAs, but They're also occupying very senior cabinet portfolios. When you're looking at Ravi Kallon and Rashna Singh and Harry Baines uh, and Nikki Sharma, their voices are strong. The diverse perspective ideas that they are bringing to the table are meeting the ambitions of these constituents, um, and it's translating into electoral
0: success. So now at 25 years, uh, we're at 52%, I think, uh, for the whole region in regards to diversity. Uh, What does that look like? 25 years from now. Uh, more people living here. Uh, do we deal with race issues? Do we have race issues? Or is this society different in Canada compared to the United States? Uh, number one, uh, you know, I'm thinking back to even when I was a young reporter interviewing uh, Jerry Adams, uh, who was the, the head of the Sinn Féin, which is sort of the, 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 um, uh, the political arm of the IRA. Huge Irish population. I could understand that 30 years ago. So moving forward 20 or 30 years ago, for now, what does the city look like? A, do you think we'll have race issues, number one? And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying no society is ever perfect. Two, we're already kind of seeing some of these issues uh, happening now. You've got a, you know, a, a referendum on whether Khalistan or Punjab should be in India, North India should be independent. We're not moving back as, as Sikhs, but we still want to have a referendum that's not binding. You have this issue in Israel at the moment significant amount of polarization among the Jewish population or certain members of the Jewish population and the Muslim population, at least on social media. I think generally the communities are pretty good about making sure uh, peace remains. But these things all are part and parcel of how we live with each other uh, and how we respect each other. It's hard one for you to answer, but I'd like you to attempt to answer it. What does that city look like 25 years from now? With what we are doing.
1: So let's just talk about the demographics first before we get into the the policy implications of this. So, uh, Federal Minister Sean Fraser is talking about 500,000 new immigrants to Canada every year. About 80 to 100,000 of them are going to settle in British Columbia and about 60 to 70% of them are going to settle in the lower mainland. Um, The vast majority of these new Canadians that are going to be coming are going to be coming from Asia, from China, from India, but increasingly over time, as we get closer to that 25-year mark, that number is going to uh, increasingly become African. Africa is the fastest growing uh, population base on the planet. In 2100, it will be the most populous continent. What's important about that is just the age demographic. Canada's average age is 44 years old. Africa's is 17. Uh, So as we're looking at our labor force, whether it's construction, whether it's healthcare, uh, that young population is what we're going to be looking for uh, to to help sort of sustain our healthcare system and our workforce. So it's increasingly going to start looking African, but in the immediate short term, it's going to look Asian there's always been race issues in Canada and there are current eight race issues today. And some of these things are enshrined in legislation. Uh, we have uh, an apartheidist Indian act um, that Pierre Paul, Yev Jagmeet Singh and Pierre Paul uh, and, and, and Justin true all agree needs to be gotten rid of, but we're not taking the initiatives to, uh, uh, to resolve some of those issues. We've got bill C 21 in, in Quebec, religious headscarf ban that is negative impacting Muslims, Sikhs uh, uh, and people of the Jewish faith. And again, um, these risk issues are going to become more frequent. Uh, they're going to become more emotional. Um, but the tide at some point is going to shift just based on the sheer volume of non-European people uh, that are going to start asserting their economic power and they're going to start asserting their political power on these debates.
0: Hey, welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us, we're speaking to Kareem Alam. He's a partner at Fairview Strategy. He's campaign director for Ken Sim, Mayor Ken Sim now, uh, and ABC Vancouver. Of course, they won that super majority. We're talking about changing demographics uh, in the lower mainland, what the city will look like in 2050 when we add another million people. Uh, Kareem, one of the things we've talked about is it. just, you know, we have so many different people come from different parts of the world and it is changing the demographics of this city. How do you think it will apply to policy? Let's, uh, you know, let's pick any policy out there. I think one of the things we've been talking about is natural gas and a potential natural gas ban in, in this city. And I was thinking, uh, I had the I think the Real Estate um, Association on and, and uh, they were not happy with a potential natural gas ban. It's just being discussed, debated. It's going to be going on for a while. Would something like that even be broken down by, you know, ethnic lines or racial lines? Absolutely. Uh, when, you, when you think
1: about, you know, some of the biggest issues that, you know, public policymakers are grappling with, climate change is one of the largest ones. Um, but when you start to lay over that cultural aspect, which is becoming increasingly more important from a political and electoral success perspective, Banning natural gas might not be as popular as it might be just within European communities. You can't cook roti without an open flame. You can't make pita bread without an open flame. Shawarma, barbecue, Tex-Mex—there uh, uh, are cultural elements to our interaction with fire and those open flames, and those things will have an impact um, uh, uh, on 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 policy making and decision making. And as elected officials start going out and making these pronouncements without actually thinking through um, some of the implications or doing the research in terms of working uh, uh, with those ethnic communities to understand their cultural ambitions and and, and experiencing their culture, Mm -hmm. they might find themselves on the losing end of an
0: election. (laughs) It is amazing uh, when you think about uh, uh, something like that. All right. Well, let's go to the open line. I'm very curious as to what you have to say. Let's go to uh, James in White Rock. Hi, James.
2: Hi, Jazz. Thanks for taking my call. I don't, I don't see the future going to be an issue with race. I think the issue and the conflict that we're going to have, because of the way Vancouver is basing itself right now, is going to be religion. When you look at, at the dynamic of Vancouver, Surrey, what have you, people of like minds all commune together, so they deliberately segregate themselves for comfort. So how how are you going to square the circle of having entire communities from... From one specific part of the world that are that are living there because they're comfortable because they share the same religion and the same mindsets, mm-hmm. and then they have to adapt to to uh, to get along with other cultures and other religions that they might necessarily have an issue with from their home country. James, thanks How for your you call. That?
0: I appreciate that. James was a very good point. Uh, uh, you know, you know, I grew up in the '70s uh, immigrant to this country, grew up in the interior, uh, sizable. Indian Indo-Canadian population, Sikh population, town that I grew up. But you know, you were you assimilated. You had to. That's the nature of what we what we do. And today, uh, if you lived, well, if she lived anywhere in Vancouver, to be blunt, and, and but particularly if there's large South Asian population, I pick Surrey as an example, or large Chinese population in Vancouver, Richmond. I mean, you could technically. You spend your day not speaking English, right? You could do your banking, you could do your grocery shopping, uh, lots of things. You could spend a lot of time never having to speak English. So it does raise an issue of assimilation. Before, these communities are smaller. Now, these communities have reached critical mass. Is that something we need to concern ourselves with in regards to, you know, are we driving enough assimilation because these communities now are big enough where you don't have to assimilate to a certain degree?
1: I love James's question because it fundamentally gets to the heart of What is a Canada? Canada is a country that has a constitution. 1982, Pierre Trudeau repatriated the constitution. And there are two fundamental principles in that constitution um, that we must understand. That religious freedom in this country is protected. Number two is we are a secular state. There will be conflict. There will be people that will want to challenge for their own agendas, for their own reasons, those two principles. But collectively as a society, uh, we must reinforce the institutions, we must reinforce um, the legislation and the the cultural aspects that protect those two freedoms. Um, uh, I see those things being challenged. Um, I see them being challenged on a day-to-day basis. Um, And... I can see it being convenient to sometimes overlook um, one of those two principles that I just articulated, um, but I think it 's imperative for Canada uh, to be a successful country to guarantee religious freedom but also at the same time to maintain its secularism
0: yeah and, and I, but I think you know I see this I always say judge immigration by the second generation right the, mm. the first generation with parents especially. Uh, there is a tendency to be closer to those who are like you and like-minded. And, and, and it, it in many ways, helps with assimilation in regards to economic security these communities build. But that second generation raised here, raised in around a culture of, of Canada, um, I think are very uh, protective of this country and its institutions. I Absolutely. see that in my son. He's 14 years old. Uh, uh, you know, uh, my father, when he emigrated here, Hasn't been back to India since 1978. He's an Orthodox Sikh. Uh, yet I moved back there, lived there, paid my taxes for a few years as a journalist before I moved to China. Uh, but I'm proudly Canadian and, and remain that way. And I always find even sometimes a criticism of immigrants that, that come today, the most harshest criticism are from other f- former immigrants yeah. who say, you're not assimilating, and I always remind them, hey, they're probably saying the same thing about you 30, 40 years ago when you arrived. That's part yeah. of the challenge as well, is you've got to have faith in our ability to think that we've the immigrants who came here 40 years ago have assimilated, and they're hopefully going to pass on those values moving to the next generation, right?
1: Yeah, society's not homogenous. No religious group, no ethnic group that's coming to this country um, unanimously feels one way about any one thing, but the critical thing that We also need to understand is there are risks in taking on this level of immigration. That fast. Economic, uh, um, you know, racial uh, tensions. Social cohesion. Social cohesion. But there's also a tremendous opportunity. Um, Canada is a trading nation. Um, Our wealth as a country um, has been because we are a trading nation those connections that these people bring from other countries reinforce um, our leadership on the global stage. And to the degree that we can start reconciling with First Nations and settling title and treaty issues, and we're able to get our resources and our auto parts and all all the different parts to to, to, to Tidewater and to our economy, it's to the degree that Canada can be and will be the richest country in the world. Green Malum. thank you.